Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of the Crypto Catch-Up. Today I'm actually not joined by Pav, not joined by Chris or Ted, they've all got the boot, but today I have <laughs> Zach and Ent from Investified. Lads, very welcome on your second episode, I believe now, of Tapping Into Crypto. Mm-hmm. How are you guys doing? Mate, fantastic. Absolute pleasure to be here. Very excited to be here. On your birthday as well, Tommy. Yeah, well, let's, let's highlight that straight off. Trying to keep that one on. Yeah. Um, no, it's never going to fly. Yeah, once well, you turn 30, it kind of, you know, it's irrelevant. But 30 as well, today. No, no. Oh, passed that a while ago. I thought we weren't going to get into this, but here <laughs> we're, we're in it. No, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, here we are. Uh, Chris and Ted have been giving me shit all day about it. So, yeah, it was yeah. you know, anyway, we get we get there. We, that. we can toast it later on and we can dive into it later. Do it. Guys, listen, great to have you back on the podcast again. Zach, I'd love to, I guess, start with yourself, get a bit of a spiel on Investify, I guess, who you guys are, where you're from and what you're about. Yeah, absolutely. So we are from Melbourne, first of all. Um, so it's warmer up here, isn't it? It is really? much warmer. 27 degrees yesterday. Yeah. Zach yeah. wanted to put on his shorts when we arrived. <laughs> I was like, can I wear shorts in the office? So I Absolutely. I Absolutely. had the Burks out ready to go. There's wine. Shit. Well, you don't have your knees on the podcast because we had one of the listeners send us a message before to say, Hey, a little bit of professionalism here, gents. Can okay. you uh, cover the knees? But um, interesting. Anyway, yeah. that is interesting. It's fair. So but, um, you know, we took the feedback on and look, pants all around. <laughs> pants all around. There you go. It's probably for the best. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. But beautiful being here. Now, yeah, we've been running the company. We started just before the bull market hit back in 2020, and so we've created a multi-asset class investing and research education platform. Nice. So. We are both for stocks and predominantly cryptocurrency. It's probably like a 60-40 sort of split. So yeah. 60 stocks? Uh, 60 crypto. 60 yeah, crypto. 60 crypto. It, it does like shift a little bit depending on the market conditions and, you know, but it's good that our members kind of lean a little bit more into other stocks or crypto depending on what's hot and where the money's sort of flowing, which has been really good. But yeah, so we've done a big rebrand recently to Investify. So that's currently who, who we're, we're trying. Sure, we'll be posting some links in the in the show notes for you guys anyway, so people can yeah. jump on. Yeah, better bit. We're obviously very heavily focused at SwiftX and tapping into crypto with education, especially this year. Like mm. the bear market, bull to bear market is the time to focus on education. And yeah, I mean it's it's the absolute right thing to be doing and the right space to be in right now. Absolutely. And it's just that education piece around now is the best time to invest. People think that you know, yeah. people tend to go away from the market right now. And then when Bitcoin does go up, people think, well, why didn't you tell me or why didn't I learn this? When- it can be frustrating when you, you know, experience is the only thing that saves you kind of from that. So it's kind of like a rite of passage to go through and make the mistakes, like not just specific to crypto, but any type of investment. People come in and, you know, they buy Tesla stock at the top or they buy you know, mm-hmm. Apple stock at the top and mm-hmm. they like the brand or they have an iPhone or whatever it is or a Tesla. And mm-hmm. market cycles are the most important thing when you're looking at entry and exit points, of course. So, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, very topical and, and yeah, no, congratulations on getting the rebrand across the line. And I actually need to go and check it out a bit more. I was just complaining before we started the podcast about how busy my last week's been. <laughs> yeah. The boys are just like, I don't give a shit. Let's just get on with it. <laughs> yeah, fair right, here we are. Well, lads, let's, um, let's jump into the market because I know you guys, 60% crypto. I do like the sound of that. What's your high level thoughts on the market? What we've been seeing over the last couple of weeks, I guess we've, we have seen a bit of a run up specifically in Bitcoin and ETH, have, have recovered. The odds are seem to be getting decimated at the moment, which is um, obviously not ideal for a lot of people in, investing in those lower caps. But uh, yeah, what are you guys having a look at at the moment? Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Like we've come from 
where this regulation battle where we thought crypto was going to sink below 20k again and all of a sudden here we are back up above 30k just yep. holding on by the uh, skin of our teeth but what are your thoughts like i mean it's quite interesting how one minute we had the sec coming out trying to sink the market and all of a sudden next week we've got all these institutions that are linked with sec coming back out and backing it with all these etfs for me it's just another tuesday in crypto <laughs> uh, it, it's it swings. We have these drastic swings in sentiment, in mm. obviously price. You know, we we live for volatility in this market. Sure. And I guess is it surprising? No. Yes, at the time, everyone thought we were about to sink below twenty k again. Yes, mm. in in Bitcoin, and we've seen a run up. I think it hit over thirty one k at its kind of yeah, high yeah. point over this last few days. Back to like you mentioned, just hanging on to kind of thirty k at the moment. Mm. But it, is it specifically because of a you know a BlackRock? ETF application. I mean, what do you guys think is the main reasons for this recent kind of recovery, if you want to call it that, for the high caps? I think it's a lot to do with it, to be honest. I think that when you have someone of BlackRock's caliber endorsing crypto and partnering with, uh, I believe it's Coinbase, it just creates a lot of optimism in the industry. And I think it's no coincidence that Bitcoin has done quite well off the back of that. And what would be interesting to see if, yeah, if it does stay around this 30K mark and consolidate, or if it does. Yeah. Investors love optimism yeah anything that will give them some sort of hope they just grab onto i mean this etf application means nothing sure. yeah at the moment like it is just hype really so are you are you suggesting buy the rumor sell the news type of events like well i mean like long term if this application does go through it's it's fantastic for for the industry but mm. you, you have a couple of things that could happen here one is that it doesn't go through and what happens then if, if there's so much eventually yeah well if you have so much of the market that's built on optimism around this certain event if it doesn't go the way that everyone's thinking then what happens when it doesn't yeah. you know play out so that's kind of like a bearish scenario don't mean to be a big bad bear <laughs> but i mean if it does go through yeah look at we might not see something immediately play out we might not see the market absolutely rally from that because it's not like there's going to be you could have BlackRock who've already bought all their Bitcoin. They could have bought it all, like, you know, That's the right. last few years. They might already be holding it on Coinbase. We don't know that. But definitely as you get more institutions coming in who are quite green to crypto and they're filing for, you know, these ETFs, they're going to start having to buy it eventually as well if these things go through. And I think that's largely the assumption people trying to, you know, they're trying to front run yeah. what might happen in the future, like you said, yeah. this optimism. But I guess at some point when you're speaking about ETFs and the word, the operative word here is spot ETF, right? Yes. You know? Not futures, exactly. Yeah. So we're not talking about, yeah, futures ETF and basically a spot ETF. I think we slightly covered it last week on the podcast, but um, I can't remember if I was there or not. That's how busy things are. <laughs> anyway, yeah, spot means essentially they're going to have to buy real Bitcoin, have real Bitcoin in cold storage most likely and, you know, buy pressure on the market is what the assumption is, I guess, right? So, yeah. But I guess, it, you know, again... Even when I talk about with Pav about that, buy the rumor, sell the news. Most of us are long Bitcoin and ETH over the five-year period. Mm -hmm. So like, unless you are trading on derivatives or you're trading futures, like you said, or you're leveraging short or long, it's not as relevant to people that are just, you know, spot holding and kind of, you know, adding to their positions. We've talked so much about dollar cost averaging throughout the bear market is like the strategy, I would say. Absolutely. It's opportunity when when we do see these kind of shorter term dips down, right? So it's amazing how we, we get quite technical and theoretical about things at times when realistically most of these strategies are actually very, very basic for anyone to follow. So simple is best. Simple is best. I'm really excited about this, Tommy. I think that BlackRock have such a good record at filing for these ETFs and 
I might have even been on on your podcast. I think someone said the odds are five hundred and fifty yeah, to have covered. one. So yeah, yeah. Or Ted, it was Ted that covered it last week, actually. Yeah. But this, like Zach said, this could take. I think it, they're estimating around two hundred days or something before it could go live, which goes nicely into potentially the Bitcoin halving. Yeah, it's almost it's almost a bit too perfect. Yeah, there, there's the bullish side. <laughs> yeah, perfect storm. And then did you hear uh, Ark Invest have actually come on board and filed a ETF as well? They've actually um oh first. They, they were first, but no. So what they've done is they've altered their application to match BlackRock's. Ah, right. So they they were like, hang on, these guys are looking like they're going to get through. Let's change ours. And they're actually next in line to have that next meeting with their SEC. Oh, so they'll probably be the first. It's almost like precedent, right? Yeah. Like, let's piggyback the big guys. Mm-hmm. There's a chance that we go alone on this. So if they're replicated and BlackRock gets proved, they can't deny the application from American Invest. Oh, right. And then Grayscale. I'd imagine that that's their thinking. You guys are looking at some numbers around Ethereum staking as well. Yeah, so... I love talking about this, by the way. Do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're an yeah. Eat since, since Chappella. Yeah. Eat bull. I don't know if I call myself an eat bull, but I'm, I'm definitely long eat. But I've been kind of watching the whole move from proof of work to proof of stake. Most people don't really give a shit about it, but it's a massive, it's a fantastic feat for them to be able to have transitioned and done it so successfully without a hiccup yeah. to date. Uh, <laughs> touch wood, I won't touch the table because <laughs> yeah, we're not allowed. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Touch wood, like, I mean, it's been a magnificent journey and thing to pull off for Ethereum Foundation and those core developers. I heard it was like trying to change the engine of a jet plane mid-flight. Yeah. That's essentially what they were trying to do. Pretty much, yeah. They are trying to like change over the whole network while they had millions of users on yeah, I'm on this right. network. Like it's, yeah. it was huge to be able to actually pull that off. And so what we're seeing is some really positive signs there. We've got 23.3 million ETH that are currently staked. So it's about just over $40 billion worth. And that's coming up to almost 20% of the entire circulation that has been locked up. And we're only staked. two months in as well. We're only two months in. Two months in, yeah. I've actually got a live dashboard here in front of me from some of our own ETH staking. And it's at the moment, it's taking 47 days to stake your ETH because of the activation queue. Wow. Which is pretty interesting. So it was on launch about 10 or 11 days, I believe. So like, let's say we forexed our activation queue. So massive institutional demand. Mm. The barrier to entry is obviously a little bit higher. You need to have 32 ETH to, you know, Mm. set up a validator node. Mm -hmm. So like not everybody has, what's that cost, you know, 60,000, 65,000 US dollars to go and do it. So not everyone can do it. I guess, you know, caveat to that is we do have liquid staking protocols. Okay. The likes of Rocket Pool are actually based out of Brisbane here. Are they Brisbane? Yeah, they're Brisbane based. Yeah, I actually caught up with Darren Langley, who was one of the founders at Blockchain Week in Brisbane okay. here yesterday. So yeah, they've got a fantastic story. You should dig into that if, you've, that. Ever, if you've yeah. never heard that before. Anyone listening, I think we've had the guys on before. Yeah, and then the last point there is like current on-chain rewards, like five and a half percent, pretty good. If you're an institution, next mm, mm. meets five and a half percent, all it in your custody as well. Non-custodial staking is what it is. So, mm-hmm. and then the withdraw funds takes about two to eight days. So, not too bad, really. If that at all. As an from an institutional perspective. So, yeah, I just wanted to quickly touch on that. I had it here in front of me. No, it's that's great to know that because I mean that's that just brings like huge confidence in the coin as well because this is the the most stake we've ever seen, and I think the only coin that has more of its supply staked than ETH at the moment is Solana, I believe. Yeah, right. And so, yeah, it's, it's catching up to being actually one of the most staked and the most trusted 
Yeah. Solana obviously had, you know, took a big hit with its connection to FTX or the amount that was in trusts, if you will, for FTX as mm-hmm. part of running the network. And, you know, they had their own kind of Solana innovation launch pad built on FTX's platform and everything. And they've recovered actually pretty well. Price probably not reflects as much, but like in terms of network usage, like you said, the amount staked, developers working activity across chain. These are the kind of metrics you look for in a bear market versus like what's the price doing yeah. day to day. So they had a lot of outages over the last sort of twelve years. I think that shook they have. people out. But definitely, yeah. They definitely yeah, have. But there's, um there's a lot of positive signs coming from Yeah, doing a lot of things in the NFT space as well. Like they've you know, cheap transactions never really goes out of fashion. So, <laughs> you know, as long as that is kind of the case, I guess the argument that is when when Ethereum can actually properly fix their own solution. I know we, we talk about L2s as well here, like Matic and Arbitrum and these scaling solutions that are helping them. But um, yeah, it's it's one that everyone always watches. Even when we've seen the meme coin run of what, six or eight weeks ago now with Pepe, like transaction fees again on Uniswap and these decentralized platforms were back up to like 50, 60 USD, mm-hmm. which is like, puts it out of reach for, for most people. Unless you're investing, I know, a thousand bucks, you're probably not going to spend $50 US to to go and place a trade, right? So it just makes it... You double your money just to... Yeah, it makes it a bit inaccessible for a lot of people, right? So mm-hmm. I actually did a speaking segment or presentation yesterday, Blockchain Australia Week here in Brisbane, covering kind of the differences between centralized exchanges, DEXs, and kind of the things to look out for. And I heard you had a really creative name for it. Yeah, see, yes. <laughs> it was... It was, it was it was um, safe sex with SwiftX. So <laughs> it went down well. I was pretty happy with it. I got some good feedback so far. So that was cool. Yeah. Is that your idea? It was, I petitioned internally. I wanted to put a little bit of a risky name on it because a lot of boring names when you go to these conferences mm-hmm. and you know, Tax 101 and things like that. I was like, let's have fun with this. So. <laughs> but it went down pretty well. I was happy. One of the guys from our compliance team actually came up with that one. So we get, huh. I, 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 I owe him a beer actually for that one. <laughs> Made it happen. That's it. Yeah. Just moving on to the top movers, like we we kind of cover in all these episodes. Pretty strong narrative for ending Bitcoin based. Bitcoin Cash, 62% in a week. Bitcoin SV, 30% in a week. Compound is in there. Stellar Lumens. Not actually sure why that one. I don't know if you guys have any insight into, into Stellar and why they might have had a run up, but it's up 16% on the week. Monero, privacy coin, probably the, one of the most popular, long standing mm. privacy coins. And we got VeChain and Synthetics there and kind of moving into the decentralized world. So, yeah, I don't know if you guys have heard any more on that, but I, for me, I'm taking away from this. The decentralized platforms seem to be getting a bit of transactional volume again on them, mm-hmm. like Compound, like I said, Synthetics. Bitcoin narrative is obviously strong since, you know, it's funny because often when a trend goes in a particular direction, people just try to latch on to something that hasn't like ran yet, sure. if it has the same type of narrative. So... For me, this could be a big part of why people are investing again in Bitcoin Cash. Mm-hmm. You know, Bitcoin itself had ran up by 16%. So people are looking at, all right, what's the next Bitcoin-related asset that goes? It's like trends in AI, trends in L2s. Like, you know, Pav does this actually really well. He's probably one of the best traders that I know of, like, identifying. Yeah, yeah, there's like, let's say there's 10 coins. Two of them have ran up. What are the other eight that haven't ran yet? Is there a potential to go along on one of those or what's the kind of best case scenario for, for something like that happening. So That's where the money's at. Yeah, it is. It is. And yeah, it's always interesting to follow these things. But um, we got a couple of news stories to cover off as well, guys. And I know you've done a fair bit of work in investigating these. I might let you take it off with the um, Terra Classic ecosystem revival plan. 
Yeah. So this is an interesting one. So as we know, just over 12 months ago, I think it was around 12 months ago, Terra collapsed and it was one of the largest crypto collapses in history. And quick $40 billion dollar market cap. Yeah. And now it's what, $530 million. Yeah. It's just a big drop. Massive drop. Still holding up more than I thought. Like I thought it would have been it's it's estimated. But died, yeah, 100%. But it's gone from what, $120 to 0. 0.00009 or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. I think with that, they they pumped a heap of coins into the circulation, so they diluted yeah. the price a little bit, but it's still yeah. it's still down a lot. Yeah. yeah. Not something you want to... And I think a lot of people listening to the podcast would have had some exposure, like probably all of us yeah. today had yeah. exposure. In- I did. To some degree, like whether it was via the stable kind in UST and Anchor and or whether it was, you know, it's not even talk about it. I'm going to cry. Um, anyway. Yeah, I, I still remember the morning I was walking my dog at Faulkner Park in Melbourne. Oh, and you just told me, get your money out. Yeah. Mm. Literally, I had dad's money. Uh, dad, we went in with Anchor. I told him about it. He loved it. And yeah. literally the day before, I was saying stuff about this death spiral and I was like, something doesn't feel right, dad. I'm like, we're going we're gonna to get out of here. We actually got out the day before. No way. Congrats. Yeah, we're very, very lucky. Could have told me. Didn't listen. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so we've got these six developers and they call themselves the Six Samurai. And this is led up by Bilbo Baggins, who I believe is a character from The Hobbit. Yes. Is that right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and Solid Snake. Anyway, they're putting together this revival plan to revive the Terra Classic blockchain. What they're asking for is $116,000. Not million. <laughs> no, not million. $116,000. Yeah. Well, sitting on it. You're sitting on that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 for three months' work, and they're willing to work part time. So it's not a whole lot, but also, like, yeah. d- do they need it's to do gonna it? It's going to pay it. Are you going to get into that? No. No, they're, they're asking the community. Community yeah, raise. It's a community, yeah, it's the community raise. Yeah, it's like crowdfunding. Let's get these six developers and get this ecosystem. Like, if you're going to spend that much time and effort into something, why are you so attached? We talk about not being married to coins. Like, sure. just go build another one. That's mm. right. Like, why do you have to have this tainted name that's got such a, a long, dark history? Yeah, the branding's just cooked on it now. Yeah, like, it could be one of those things that's like, any news is good news, if you know what I mean? Like, yeah. when FTX are trying to do it at the moment as well, I'm not derailing your news story here now, but like, FTX yeah, are also trying to like, revive the name as well. Yeah, like, yeah. They're talking about bringing setting the exchange back up and getting up. It's like, who's going to put money on there? Like, you'd be surprised. People probably will. Like, this industry never ceases to amaze me <laughs> in terms of what people do. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. But I'll, I'll let you keep going with the terror story. Well, that's pretty much it. It was just more a discussion about, yep. you know, should they be actually doing this? Yep. Do they need to do it? What other options do they have? As I said, do they start fresh? Start a fresh one, yeah. They can obviously, I think there was a fork for Terra 2.0. They forked a Terra yeah, 2.0. Yeah, which is a bit of flop. Yeah, and then like keeping the original classic, I think in the past with like ETH classic, that doesn't really have much That's right, yeah. volume, any uh, interaction these days. Like, I just don't know if it's really- I think what you're investing in if they take off is the fact that there's six samurai and you got Bilbo Baggins behind it. Like, <laughs> Solid that's, Snake. But who is Bilbo Baggins? <laughs> I, was trying to, I was trying to think about Solid Snake. Solid Snake is the main character from Metal Gear Solid. Oh, th- I thought it was. That's really. Weird. And you know something? I would yes. I would get behind that because yeah. it's a game. But yeah, uh, roofing game. No, nah, that alone. Yeah, that's the reason people will. I know. That's this that's, project. That's right. Uh, it's some way. It's in some way. I've got to make a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> it's in some way connected to Camcor, and Camcor worth a billion dollars. Like yeah. So, I don't know if it's Camco as a name, but whatever the Metal Gear Solid game development company was. But, um, you had another one as well on some regulation. Yeah, so we've obviously got murky waters across most 
jurisdictions, jurisdictions yeah. in uh, around That's the world. No different, especially with the token. Yeah, the token mapping we're right. trying to work out here. SEC, there's that's murky waters. Europe's you know slowly getting clarity, but the clarity at the moment is really coming out of the east. It's coming from from Asia of all yep. places, and so we're definitely seeing that. Hong Kong was a, a prime example of that. At the start of June, they actually legalized crypto retail trading, which has been absolutely massive. So we've we started to see that come to life, the effects of that. We've had a heap of Web3 firms in, in Hong Kong run in to grab one of these virtual asset licenses. And so they're spending between like two and $25 million just to be able to get a license to be able to right. register the business. But you've also got a heap of traditional companies now, like Web2 companies who are wanting to get in on this. And so they're literally trying to build infrastructure from zero and they're trying to get a one. And it's a big jump. Zero to one is always the hardest, right? Yeah. It's, it's a big Especially jump. You're coming from a Web2 environment yeah. you don't understand uh-huh. the industry. Yeah. It's huge. That's why I always talk to people with any more than five years experience in this industry. I'm like, whatever you're getting paid, you probably could get paid more. Yeah. yeah. As it is a niche market, yeah. still still a very niche yeah. market, you know? Again, not to derail your conversation, but yeah. yeah, Pav and I did cover this, I think probably a couple of months ago, not this specific topic, but we talked about whether the change in attitude from Hong Kong was potentially a virtue signal from mainland China and whether that was going to play out in mainland China. Like obviously they're kind of kept as two separate regions and mm-hmm. like what's allowed, you're not allowed to do anything in communist China mainland, right? So mm-hmm. whether that spills over or if they're using Hong Kong as a testing ground to essentially see if this has legs for them and it has, you know, economic benefits and power. So that's a potentially big story. I mean, just mm-hmm. think about why are these companies getting involved? There's a massive price, right? Look at all the people. It's a population play, realistically. So, and there's so much money there and as money. well because yeah, yeah. a lot of the investors in, in China, like real estate is no longer something because real estate's just a dying market over there. At the yeah. moment, there's so many vacancies with all the commercial and uh, residential buildings there. And so there's all this money on the sidelines. They don't want it to go outside into other parts of the world. And so they're looking for a vehicle to be able to put it in within their own country. And so I feel... Like you said, this is the testing ground to be able to bring it to the mainland and for them to have a, a vehicle. So that's why I strongly believe that the real inflow for the next bull run is going to come from the east. I think it's going to come from there. Obviously, now we've got these ETFs popping up, but I, I think there's some big money in the east. Yep. There's some huge money there that's just been locked up. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I've just finished compiling a, some market research and basically looking this data as to where are the new markets, where are the next big markets coming from and definitely look at the um, Arab Emirates states and likes of Dubai and, and Abu Dhabi and these places, you know, heavily leaning in and promoting businesses to come and, and go and get set up there. You're obviously talking about the East, like Hong Kong and like up that direction. We're also seeing India and Brazil. Brazil is the fast growing market for Coinbase at the moment, which is... Yeah, really? Yeah, it's pretty surprising. I mean, you, again, population play, right? Like mm. maybe you don't have the wealth per head, but again, it's just numbers, right? Like mm. you have massive population. So it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, if we start to see big innovative type companies spawn out of those areas, right? India has been seen for a long time as the next China. And I think it's, all, it's probably already there realistically, mm. but... When, it, when you look at the next cycle that we're all kind of here talking about and you know, I guess building for and, and prepping for at the moment, it's it's definitely exciting. There's definitely plenty to be holding on to. At Blockchain Week, people were talking about us being in the middle of a bear market and it just doesn't feel that way for me. Like I don't mm. feel like we're, we're in the middle of a bear market. I feel like that might have been the crux of 
December, January, maybe this year, but yeah. sorry, not even January. January, we'd seen a V-shape recovery in the market, right? Yeah. Ran, ran up right until April before anything bad mm. happened. So I think what recent events have showed us is Bitcoin and crypto, it's not a tree. Like it's not rooted to one country like the US. Like I think a lot of us thought that that was the lifeblood of crypto, True. the whole industry. I think what it's shown us with all this, you know, regulation and all these other countries stepping up that it's a global network. And if it isn't suited to somewhere, if there's too much resistance, then it'll just move to a place of least resistance. That's right. And so, you know, places like with more clarity or less regulations, it's just going to keep moving to. Yeah. I can remember a story last year, it was last year, where one of the big states in the US like shut down or banned mining. Mm. And then literally overnight, all the miners had moved to like Kazakhstan or something. <laughs> yeah. It was like, yeah. sorry, when I say overnight, it was obviously a big operation, but it but virtually happened in a very short yeah. space of time where the mining power, the hash rate dropped for a period of weeks and then exceeded the all-time hash rate again. So it's like, again, yeah, to your point, we're talking about a global opportunity here. It's not regional-based, yes, and we'll have regional-based regulations and all the bells and whistles that come with that. But if it doesn't suit you in one region, you can move. And a lot of businesses are doing that and have done it even over the short lifespan of the industry so far. Mm. It's cool. But um, That probably segues us nicely into um, the crypto decoupling from tech stocks conversation that you guys had as well. I saw you post this on your LinkedIn yesterday and I thought, damn it, because I really thought we were going to come to the party with something new here. But- <laughs> oh, this is good. This, <laughs> this is good. I mean... I don't think I have too many followers on LinkedIn anyway. <laughs> Nobody would have seen it. So you guys can still talk about it. It's good. Fantastic. So there's the old adage that crypto and tech stocks are correlated, but we've seen in 2023 that they've, there's a bit of a decoupling between the crypto and the tech stocks. And whether that's something that's going to come in and out of fashion, we're not sure yet. I think, Tommy, you've got your own views on this, but I believe that it's now at a level of around 3%, which is so low compared to where it was. Obviously, they were so closely correlated. And now there's just a massive yeah decoupling between the two. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely one that I think I touched on it before we started the podcast. The crypto side will grab onto it when it suits we, will grab onto it when it suits us. Yeah. And then the people that are more heavily invested in equities and you know are following these tech stocks kind of take it when when they want it. But um yeah, overall, I mean I think it's quite topical. It happens, it's like the seasons, it changes. We will see a heavier correlation yeah. from time to time. A lot of it has to do with global monetary policy and changes around interest rates and inflation, deflation, these kind of, I guess, macroeconomic factors play into it as well. So it's not like, I guess, we have decoupled now and then, oh, that's it, we're off to the races. I think it's just, it's going to be a, there's going to be a yield curve that we stand to from time to time and, and one that will just continue to follow pretty yeah. much. So I think it comes down to that, that currency hedge. Yeah. I like guess as, as we see the, the US dollar getting weaker, like people go, all right, what's the alternative to this? Uh, right. Let's hedge our bets a little bit more here. And then I think that's also what enhances that correlation. Yeah. And I just looking at, it. looking at some of the numbers as well, like Bitcoin is up 84% year to date, ETH 58% year to date, the NASDAQ itself 23%, pretty good return. Still good. Considering the index you're kind of speaking hmm. to there. That's in a bull run. Well, that's, you, yeah, that's you, right. You, it's twenty percent up from mm. low. So technically, it is a mm. technical bull run. Technical bull run. Uh, uh. We'll take it. We'll take it. <laughs> Anytime we can grab the bull by the horns and bring that kind of a, a phrase out, we will. Yeah, we will. Absolutely. But um, yeah, and the S and P five hundred up thirteen percent year to date as well. So it's obviously yeah, it's good to see. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we love for it for anyone anyone invested. I think there's actually like 
a lot more of the Aussie-based investment platforms have been obviously leaning in to support US stocks as well. Like over the last few years, it's obviously not a new thing. So, you know, I imagine those companies would be doing pretty well from any kind of run in the NASDAQ or any of those markets too. So that's- I feel like that's what a lot of the Aussie brokers, they talk more about the US markets now than the ASX. Yeah. Whether the returns are higher, it's probably seen as a bit sexier. Like the stocks that you can invest in are stocks that we're interacting with every day. All of them. Exactly. Nike, Apple, your FANG stocks. Yeah. You're wearing it, you're driving it, yeah. you're eating it. Yeah, I see yeah. a report from, I get a report regularly from a stake and superhero on these guys and it's just like, Top traded assets are always the US yeah. kind of sexy, flashy tech stocks, right? Mm-hmm. Those ones. So yeah. it makes sense. I mean, you know, I got an iPhone. We probably all have iPhones here. It's like mm. nearly all, like Anson Andrew. It makes sense. I'm not. <laughs> it kind of goes back to some of Warren Buffett's theory, where it's like invest in what you know, yeah. invest in what you kind of believe in. Mm-hmm. You can do added research on the, the right times to invest, but if you do believe in a company over a 10 or 20 year period, I mean, you don't have to pick the best time to invest if that's your longer term view or strategy, right? So it's actually something that I do a fair bit as well. It's like, if I can touch and feel it and I believe in it, like Netflix was a prime example for me. It's like, obviously ran up heavy during COVID. We were all at home, bloody getting Netflix subscriptions. And and then we, you know, when we came out of, they suffered kind of, their stock price suffered as a consequence and it kind of had a big dip in market. And yeah, for me, that was like, again, not financial advice here. Hmm. But for me, that's an opportunity because I believe in Netflix and I think they're going to be a company that we will continue to use into the future and then continue to kind of evolve as they did from when they used to just send you DVDs in the mail. So, you know, that's just an example of like... No, you're spot on, Tommy. Like at Investify, we do webinars, we do workshops to businesses and that is one of the number one or the first things we say to them is we're not trying to say that investing is easy. It's definitely not. But a lot of people try to overcomplicate it and sometimes it's just as simple as investing in companies that you know, that you can interact with, that you know will be there in 5, 10, 15 years, and that's all you need to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it can be as difficult or as easy as you want it to be from, from time to time, which is, you know, we can be touched on. The easiest strategies are generally the best. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the time as well, when you look even look at the crypto market and we talked about, you know, dollar cost averaging and wind up the dips <laughs> from time to time to kind of make sense on the assets that you are long in long term. So that's where we're at. We got a couple of off the cover stories as well. I actually seen this pop up on my Twitter yesterday about MicroStrategy. Are you guys, mm-hmm. what are you guys having a look at that? This, that yeah. machine. Michael Saylor is back. He's just bought 12,333 Bitcoin. Very specific yeah. number. Yeah. Good thing you didn't get me to say that because I generally get 333 second. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to all, but anyway. Yeah. Nah, he's, uh, he's the ultimate DCA king, isn't he? Yeah. He's a uh, member of SwiftX, isn't he? He would be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He'd be isn't. He'd be listening to the podcast. Yeah. Shout out to Michael if you're um listening there, mate. I'll uh, see you on Thursday night. Probably using our affiliate link. Probably <laughs> is. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Why I like this story is every now and then you'll have the crypto haters jumping on saying, Oh, how much is MicroStrategy in underwater now with their Bitcoin investment, you know? And I think twenty nine K was the average price. So I need basically any time for the average listener to know, anytime the Bitcoin's over twenty nine K USD. MicroStrategy is in the money, right? Like, yeah. Which is what I saw. They're in the money right now. They've obviously, again, dollar cost average strategy. They hadn't bought for a while. I don't think they'd bought this year yet. That might be their first purchase of the year. Don't quote me on it. But, um, but they were buying all the way up to that's right. $60,000 $60, yeah. on the last bull run. So it goes to show, like, even though they were buying then, sure. 
this strategy has been able to bring their average price down because there was a time there where the average price was uh, like around 40k yeah. for each coin. So they've brought that down under 30k. That's a testament to, yeah. to how it's mad. Because I think the first, again, I could be wrong on this, I should have fact checked it, but I believe he started buying about 21 or 22k. Like when they start yeah, just, buying Bitcoin? Even, yeah, about 20 on the night. Yeah, was it something like that? Yeah. So they went from 20K, like you said, buying all the way up to 60 or we, we went to 68K or something like that. Back down to, I know they were buying Bitcoin again at like 15K. So like mm. their lowest price, which would have obviously brought down the average. And now they're at 29, which is actually pretty cool. Like we think about so the cool. parcels that they that they would have bought. You got to have some conviction to do that. Like, you do. Well, not anyway. But it goes to show as well that whether you've got $100. Yep. Or a hundred million dollars. Yep. Like this strategy can work. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. And that's something that you know we talk about a lot through our SwiftX Learn platform, mm. through these podcasts. Like it doesn't have to be complicated. You know, it's it's up to us on the exchange side to make it easy for you to just press two buttons and then have your recurring kind of investment created. And that's what we'll be continuing to lean into those types of things over this market as it plays out. Oh, back to Terra, <laughs> Mr. Jake One. What's he up to? Well, they've caught him. He's been on the run for about a year now, and they've tracked him down in Montenegro. This guy was found with about four or five different passports. Right. And no no UST in his wallet. No. Yeah. <laughs> Not that he'd be at the moment anyway. I think that's all been confiscated from him. So, uh, yeah, poor Duke Juan has, has got four months behind bars, and then I'd say he's probably going to get shipped out to South Korea or the US to be extradited. Less than ideal. We I think. call him Jake one as well. I'm pretty sure he's a rapper or something, isn't he? Jake one. It was Doak one I was thinking about. He's Doak one. Jake one. Jake one? Yeah, Jake. I think it is, Jay yeah. Kwan. Yeah, no. on Spotify every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> music. That's, we have a question that came true for you guys to answer, actually. Just jumping into a quick little AMA here to finish us off. Are you finding your users are more focused on stocks or crypto at the moment, like current environment? I know you mentioned you guys are kind of 60, 40 mm. crypto to equities. Is that indicative of the interest in the market as well? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Zach might have a different answer to me, but I think that we see across the year, we see more consistency across crypto, even in bear markets. I think we've got it. We've taught our community really well to understand that that is the time when you need to be learning, you need to be accumulating. And that's obviously the message we're trying to get out to Australia and, and the world. So I think we've done a really good job and our members are really good at understanding in the bear markets. That's the time when you need to learn and to invest into good DCA. Absolutely. And I think that with everything that's gone on in crypto in the last few months, which is, as I said at the start of the episode, it's quite optimistic. I think we're seeing more people come back into, yeah. into crypto. Mm. And we're also bringing out new courses as well, like which is just adding to people's tool belt and enhancing the skills that they have. So a lot of members were asking for, you know, how to make money when the market's going down. So how to short. So we brought out material around that. So there's nice. While we've got a heavy emphasis on the investing side of things and you know dollar cost averaging sure. techniques like that, we're also you know a lot of members are really keen to learn about yeah futures trading and other alternatives like that so. and we're very community led so like at the community we have a really close relationship we speak to them all the time so if they ask things if there's if we find that there's things that they want exactly yeah they find that hey we want to know a bit more about this we create content around it yeah we're shifting pretty heavily well, i say shifting i think we've always been customer driven at SwiftX, who we are skewing even more to that direction now is like give the people what they want and it's, it's interesting you mentioned the futures and the you know long and short derivatives type offerings. I think there's a there's probably a big gap in market for 
an entry level type product yeah. there, which is something that there's a couple knocking around. Most of them, an entry level or a, even an up to an intermediate level investor, can be quite daunting to go on there and try to get started. And you're talking about you know 50x leverage, and you know, am I going to lose? Is someone going to come and take my house because I put this trade on? Like there's so many misconceptions around that type of trading and like it doesn't have to be that scary yeah definitely a big gap in the market from where i'm standing i can tell you but um this question isn't written down this is one i have for you guys put you on the spot a little bit is i guess outside of bitcoin and eat are there specific trends that you guys are are seeing yourself that you're doing research into that you're kind of interested into the next market or even that your customers are are more interested in at the moment mm. i guess since everything's been coming out over the last couple of weeks i i've feel that it's going to be a very Bitcoin-led bull market. Like I know what it often is, but I think oh. it's going to be a Bitcoin bull run. Look, this is something that I've been accumulating for, for a long time. It definitely takes up the majority of my portfolio. Yep. But I'm absolutely gung-ho on certain narratives as well. So look, for my personal situation, I'm not going to be investing in too many micro caps yep. or anything just yet. I think it's still the game for a lot of the majors. Yeah, fair enough. But I'm looking at a lot of the newer layer one technology. So I'm definitely very interested in that. I think if you look at the last run, coins like Avalanche and Solano were really coins that led, made some really great gains there. So definitely the new technology coming out around those. Don't know if I can mention any coins specifically, but I probably won't. Right. <laughs> hey, we can, we can do your own research. Yeah, of course. Of course. We have everything available on the on the platform itself anyway. People can go in and... and sure. uh, Follow you guys too. You'll have plenty of resources on your site as well, I guess. Absolutely. Anything for yourself? No, I'm very much of a blue chip accumulator. So for me, it's just Bitcoin and Ethereum. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I better contribute to it then if you guys are going to go for it. I was like, no, no I, as I mentioned a couple of times today at Blockchain Week, we were at day one in Sydney, which was um, more of an institutional focus and regulatory focus, banking, that kind of a suit and tie, I guess, type affair. But yeah, I guess one of the narratives that I've, felt pretty strongly throughout the day was gaming, which is interesting. And um, we had we had one of the Warwick brothers from Alluvium, was it Alluvium, mm-hmm. came, came and did a panel or did a presentation. So I guess that's one that I think, that's a sector that I'm watching very, very closely at the moment. A lot of the other categories have had a similar or a, a certain type of time in market and, and run up and they've had their kind of spike. Whereas I think gaming has never really had its full chance. And a big part of the reason for that is you had a lot of competing priorities at the time, like NFTs. It was NFTs and gaming were kind of mixed up together. A lot of the games that we're relying on to move the needle on this, it just takes a lot of time to develop a game, right? Like a AAA rated game like Alluvium we're trying to build Mm. takes a long time to build, right? Like four or five years in game development. So I feel like that's a narrative that could pick up into the next market again. I could be totally wrong. This is not financial advice in any way, shape, or form, but it's a it's a sector for sure that I'm going to be watching. I think it makes so much sense, and you get so many like Blizzard, all these developers from like major gaming companies yep. in traditional, sure, traditional world coming across and wanting to build in in Web three. I think it's a matter of time. I believe. I think the last time we really saw this space kick off was when Meta, yeah, Facebook changed right. to Meta, yeah, changed. Now launched the Metaverse sector into you know Hyperverse, but. Yeah, I think it's been a while, almost been two years since we've seen anything from That's this right. space. So I'm, I'm completely agreeing that GameFi is going to be massive. Yeah, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's, you know, tip of the iceberg stuff at the moment. We don't know where it could go, you know, and I'm sure there's going to be tens of projects that are going to pop up that we haven't even seen or heard about yet into the next market as well to kind of probably piggyback 
a lot of this narrative, mm. but it's definitely exciting space to watch. And this is where I think this is the perfect time in the market to be able to start learning, getting your feet yep. on the ground and starting to learn about this industry. Yeah. Because as soon as it's ready, you're not going to be chasing, you know, all these coins around you or actually understand. That's right. Actually out there and what's growing, how developers, the roadmap, how they're being fulfilled. Yep. So yeah, it's exactly. a great time to learn. Yeah. Lads, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today. We went for a bit longer than usual there, but I think it was good. We covered a lot of covered a lot of ground, we I did. feel, and um, we're heading off to the footy tonight, Brisbane Lions versus Richmond. So I'm really, really keen to go and get that one. It should be a good game. I'm really excited for okay. it. Yeah, again, thanks to the guys from Investified popping in today, and I'm sure we'll speak to you guys again in the future. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for joining us for today's show. If you liked it, don't forget to head over to the gram and join us at Tapping Into Crypto. And before we finish up, just a general disclaimer that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. And the opinions on this podcast belong to individuals and are not affiliated with any companies mentioned. Any advice is general in nature and does not take into account your own personal situation. If you're looking to get advice, please seek out the help of a licensed financial advisor. We'll talk to you soon.